Yeah, you always say you'll get us a helicopter and you got it zero times. Hey, boo, how's your day? Mwah. Late for work. Why don't you sit on the couch and paint me? Hey, Sweaty Fred, where's your cornbread? I got it right there. That's good. Hey, so don't I... touch my cornbread. Okay, now just so you know, after this, I plan on grabbing that bread. No, you're not. Ow! Ow! I don't feel bad! I don't feel bad! Do you get your fangs sharpened? Because I want to hear about where you go to get your fangs sharpened. Do you go back to the other hermits? That's it, isn't it? My old girlfriend is here. She made us both eat poison an hour just before she stabbed me. Uh, I haven't seen her at all since then. This will be the first time. Can you define valedictory? Yeah, that's not a word. <laughs> no, I, I know the whole English language, and the nonsense you said is not in it. Hey, camera guy, up here. You said that I'd finally get a sticker. And I told Josh I know I can yodel. Watch me. Yodi, 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 yodi. And Josh said, not like that. Never like that. When mom came home, I said, meatloaf. Mmm, mmm. And then she said, we're having spaghetti for dinner again. And I said, fine, mom. I saw a great dress, but it smelled terrible. And I decided not to buy it. And it was terrifying. So, yeah. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, and I'm here. Oh my goodness, I am so, so hot. It is sweat all over my face. I am so sorry for how badly I smell right now. I had a plate full of food, and then I ate all my dinner, even the vegetables. Yay! Yay. Now, I don't know if I saw him eat all those now, vegetables. Now, hold up, he definitely oh, did. No, are, are you sure? I saw him do okay, it. Okay, fine. Let's clap again. Yay! You see this bat right here? This is a toy for big boys. Yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna hit the ball with this bat. I'm gonna hit the ball real hard. So I grip that bat real tight and I smack it. Whoa! <laughs> you know what that means, right? That means somebody on our lakeside team has way too much time on their hands. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Morning. I'm just going to stand real still today, really very unanimated like. <laughs> nice to see you. Thanks for being here today. So, um, there's a big game on today. Any- One guy in the de- tech booth cares. Anybody else care? Oh, some of you care. Okay, that's, so that's interesting. So Super Bowl comes along and, uh, and everybody forms an opinion like, here's who I want or what's going on. And so some of you have an opinion from the games two weeks ago. Some of you are like, the Saints, which is really appropriate because it's church, the, the Saints got jobbed. Some of you, that's where some of you are, right? Some of you are like, some of you don't care about the game at all. You're going to a party, you're going to consume somebody's food and beverage, but you don't really care about the game at all. You're just there for the commercials. Any commercializers here? Yeah? Six of you. All right. Uh, some some people some people have the opinion that Tom Brady is the Messiah. I don't know. Some some people think he's the second coming of Joe Montana. All right. Let's so let's get let's get it out there. Who, which side are you on? Patriots. Everybody not Patriots. I mean, Rams, 
No. Okay, no, I was right the first time. Okay, I see how that goes. And some of you just really don't care, right? <laughs> All right, it's going to be a fun day anyway. So uh, every year at Easter, just about every year, I'll be in the lobby before one of our gatherings and somebody will come up to me and they'll go, Pastor Brad, it's going to be a big crowd today, right? And uh, I'm like, yeah, it's Easter. I think it's going to be a big crowd. And then they will say to me, I think this is Lakeside Super Bowl. I'm like, no, that's not my perspective at all. My perspective is uh, the Super Bowl is the NFL's attempt at Easter. I'm talking to this side of the crowd. (laughs) All right, how about this? How about if we just talk about Jesus today? Oh, that's what you came for. Hey, good, it's church, and we're going to talk about Jesus. Shocker. But let's do that. So we're in the middle of a series right now called... Where's Jesus going today? And last week we kind of launched into it. We, we started this whole concept with this verse from Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, where the Apostle Paul says, if you're following Jesus, if you're living a Christian life, you're living a life of mystery. You know, some of you look at your spouse right now and you go, I, I've always thought you lived a life of mystery. You know, I don't know, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He goes, you're living a life of mystery, and the mystery is this. That if you follow Jesus, Jesus follows you. If you follow Jesus, Christ is in you, which is remarkable to me. I don't know what it, it doesn't look any different. You can, you, you, you know, you can have Christ in you and you look the same on the outside, whatever. But there's something that changes in us when we decide I'm going to follow Jesus. And then he says, I'm going to follow you. We make a big deal at Lakeside about let's make followers of Jesus. Let's transform as many people as possible into followers of Jesus. That's what it's all about for us. And I get it when someone says, I choose to follow Jesus. I understand that. I I know why I choose to follow Jesus. I think Jesus is the most compelling figure in the history of the world. So I know when people say, I want to follow Jesus, I get that. But it's hard for me when Jesus says, but I want to follow you. When he says to me, I want to follow you. When Jesus says, wherever you go, I'm going. That's amazing to me. And so we launched into this series last weekend, and I had you... If you were with us, you remember I had you at the end of our time together write down three or four or five places where you expected to go this week. So work or home or the grocery store or the gas station or wherever you expected to go this week. And I said, you're going to find Jesus there. How'd that go for you? Good. Was he there? Thank you very much. Was anybody aware of him being with you besides Bill? He was with us. And now here's what, so I want to do it. So while we're going through this series, at least, I w- I'd love to see you create, I'd love to see us create a habit that everywhere you go, you expect to meet Jesus there. I talked to somebody yesterday. He, he's like, I, I, I follow Jesus, but I'm not really sure I want him following me everywhere. I'm like, then stop going to that place. Because he's with us. He's with us. If I follow Jesus, Jesus follows me. Today we're going to continue that series and we're going to tell some stories about Jesus. And 
A lot of stories in Jesus' ministry life, the, the, the part of his life where he was doing public ministry in and around Jerusalem, a lot of those stories happen in a town called Capernaum. And I had a chance to go to Capernaum in October when we visited Israel. This is a picture of the town of Capernaum. I want to sh- show it to you and kind of lay it out for you because I want to tell you some stories about this town or that happened in this town. So up in the top of the picture, there's a round building. It looks like a spaceship kind of. That's a modern church. It wasn't there when Jesus was there, so never mind. Okay, actually, although it's a little bit interesting because the reason they built that church there, the built is actually built, the church is built on pillars and it's got a glass floor. And if you look through the glass floor, you see a house that they believe might have been the house of the apostle Peter because the walls of the house were built at one point and then knocked down and pushed out. And then they were knocked down again and pushed out further. And they think that maybe that's because as the church grew, they were meeting in, in, uh, in this town anyway, they were meeting in Peter's house and they kept pushing the walls out to make more space. That's possible. But it wasn't there when Jesus was there, so never mind that. Down to the left, toward the left and the, toward the bottom there, there's a rectangle building, big building, and that's the synagogue in Capernaum. Now that synagogue is not the one that was there when Jesus was there either. That was built about 400 years later. But directly underneath that is the rubble of the synagogue that was there when Jesus entered in, into Capernaum and entered into the synagogue and taught and healed people there. And you can actually walk into that synagogue now. It does, no roof. They had a roof in that day. But you can actually walk in, look around, kind of see the layout and go, well, this is what it would have been like when Jesus would, was there, which is fascinating to me. Now, in, in Jewish uh, towns, in Jewish, Jewish communities, the synagogue was the hub of life. It was the center of everything that happened in that community. So when you look at the, at the town, you'll see at the bottom and on the right and above it, you'll see that there are little squares uh, surrounding the synagogue. Those are homes. We would, look, we would call them today townhomes. They were usually two stories tall. They shared a common wall. So you would hear what's going on in the next house, you know, which is maybe good or maybe not so good. And, uh, and they surrounded the synagogue. Why? Because everybody wanted to be near the synagogue because that's the hub of everything that happens in our life. There's even one more neighborhood built, built on the other side of the highway that hasn't been excavated yet, but you can tell there's other houses in there as well. Everybody wanted to be close to where the synagogue was. And that's the town of Capernaum. Now, in that town, one day there was a group of guys who had a friend who had had an accident and had become paralyzed. And they had him on a mat. He lived his life on a mat. They picked him up on this mat and they carried him to the house where Jesus was. Jesus was in one of those houses. And he's inside and there were people pressing in to get there because he wanted Jesus to heal someone that they loved. Or they wanted, them to he- they wanted Jesus to heal them. And they're crowding around, pushing and shoving, trying to get in the house. There's no room. And so these guys come bringing their buddy on a mat, on a stretcher, and they can't get in. It's so crowded. So they go up on the roof and they dig through the roof and they lower this guy on a stretcher right down in front of Jesus, right at his feet. They said, Jesus, we want you to heal our friend. Jesus looks at their friend and he says, uh, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the, and the friends are like, that's not what we asked for. You know, and the Pharisees are like, you can't forgive sins. Who do you think you are, God or something? And then Jesus said, well, I'll let you know that I have authority to forgive sins. He says to the man on the mat, uh, get up, take up your mat and go home. And the man gets up, carries his mat out and goes home. That was his Super Bowl day that day. 
there was a centurion who was assigned to the town of Capernaum. And he was a Roman officer. He was in charge of roughly a hundred soldiers. And of course, nobody in Israel liked centurions. Nobody liked the Roman officers and the Roman soldiers because they were occupying their territory. It was horrific to have somebody else's army in your town. And they would do horrible things to the citizens of a town. And so nobody liked Roman officers except this centurion was generous to the people of Capernaum and actually was the major donor in giving the funds to build their synagogue. And he served them instead of lording it over them. And so the people of Capernaum loved this centurion. Well, the centurion heard that Jesus the rabbi was coming into town one day and he went out and he found him probably just outside the synagogue. Couldn't have gone in. But just outside in the front of the synagogue, the, the centurion finds Jesus and he's got, the centurion has this servant who he's been with for a long time and he loves this servant, but the servant had gotten ill and now he's on his deathbed. And the officer says to Jesus, the rabbi, he says, sir, I'd, I'd love it if you would heal my servant. And Jesus said, right on, let's go, let's go do it. And the, and the centurion stopped him. He said, no, no, no. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Look, I'm a man under authority. When my bosses say, do this, I do it. And when I say to the people under me, do this, they do it. He says, Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be well. Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith in all the land of Israel. And he spoke the word and the man was healed. That was their Super Bowl weekend. Another time... There was a man named Jairus. He was one of the most important people in the whole town of Capernaum. He was the president of the synagogue. He was a synagogue leader. Everyone looked up to him. Everyone admired and respected this man. This man, Jairus, had a 12-year-old daughter, and she got sick. In fact, it got worse and worse and worse. And finally, one day when Jesus was in town, Jairus, the synagogue leader, goes to Jesus the rabbi and says, Sir, my daughter's ill. Would you come and would you, would you touch her? Would you heal her? And Jesus said, yeah, let's go. So they're making their way to Jairus' house. Well, everyone's gathered around because everyone loves Jairus. Everyone honors him. And so they all want to know what's going on. So they're all together going with Jesus and Jairus to the house to heal his daughter. And on the way, they get interrupted by a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years And she interrupts Jesus and she touches him and and healing power goes out from Jesus and he stops and he talks to her and he heals her. But while he stopped to talk to her, messengers come from Jairus' house with this word. Don't trouble the teacher anymore because your little girl has died. Can you imagine the pain on that day? Can you imagine the pain of that dad? Can you imagine the anger that possibly welled up in that man at that woman who stopped the rabbi? Like if you just had not gotten in the way, Jesus could have got to my daughter on time. Are you kidding me? And it's not just the synagogue leader, but it's all the townspeople saying, he interrupted while he's going to help our leader and his daughter. And everyone's sad and grieving and angry and disturbed all at the same time. And Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And the procession picks up again and begins to make their way toward Jairus' house. And when they get there, there's already mourners outside who are grieving for this little girl, according to Jewish custom. 
Jesus goes in with a couple of his disciples, three of his disciples, and they go inside and Jesus says to the girl, little girl, get up. And this dead child comes back to life. You imagine how the emotion of hurt and anger and sorrow shifts to joy and excitement and wonder in a heartbeat, in a literal heartbeat. And then Jesus gives these parents, Jairus and his wife, he gives these parents this impossible command to obey. He says, don't tell anybody. (laughs) What? Their obedience to that command lasted about the steps it took to get outside to the front door. And there's a whole crowd out there and he brings their daughter out and she's alive. And they're all so excited about what happened. That was their Super Bowl that day. And all those kinds of events that happen in that town of Capernaum and other places like it, all those events shaped the life of Jesus from then on to such a degree that his life became a whirlwind. He couldn't go into towns anymore. People came out to him in the countryside because he couldn't get into towns anymore. It was too crowded, too too many people pressing on him. That leads us to our story that I want you to see in Scripture today in Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bible... Turn to Luke chapter 9. If you're using the Bible on your smartphone, use the YouVersion Bible app, and we've got the scriptures already pulled out for you. I've, I've actually included the scriptures for those stories I just told you. They're in the YouVersion Bible app for today as well. So if you want to see that, you can. Or you can just listen to this. Here's uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once... When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus' life must have been crazy about this time. People were hearing stuff. People were hearing news. They were, they were traveling around. They're like, I got to hear this. In fact, there was something I didn't tell you about the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was a town built on one of the major trade routes of the ancient world. One of the busiest roads in the ancient world ran right through the heart of Capernaum. So if you're coming from the east and going to the west, you'd be on this highway. If you're coming from the west, going to the east, you'd be on this highway. If you're coming from the north, going to Jerusalem, you'd be on this highway. So it wasn't just that the people of Capernaum were in that place at that time, but merchants who were traveling, going somewhere to to make a sales call, they'd be going through here. And so one night, you can imagine a merchant coming through and seeing just outside the synagogue, there's a crowd and they're moving in one direction and and it's late in the day, so he's going to stop and spend the night there. So he just jumped in with the crowd and he watches what goes on and he sees this miracle with this little girl and he's dumbfounded about it. And the next day when he leaves town to go to make his sales appointment, he tells everybody on the road what happened. He tells everybody in the next town what happened. He tells everybody in the big city what happened. That word gets around about Jesus. His life is an absolute whirlwind. And Luke says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Jesus pulls off the road of insanity. He pulls off the road of busyness for a quiet moment and it's just him and his father in heaven and his 12 disciples. 
and he asks his disciples a question in the middle of a prayer time. Who do people say I am? Now let's take a sidebar for, from there for a minute. Hold that spot in the story and just take a little sidebar. One of the most important things you can do when you're reading the Bible and trying to understand the Bible is, uh, is to study it in its context. So there are rules for interpreting literature. There are rules for interpreting the Bible. There are the same rules for interpreting any kind of literature. It's not like some special way of doing it. There's rules for it. And the first rule of interpreting any kind of literature, including the Bible, is what's the context? Find out the context. Find out what came before that thing. Find out what comes after that thing. Ask the question, why did that come before? Why did this come after? Because when you ask those questions, you start to get a whole feel of what's going on rather than taking something out of context. Well, here's Luke. He writes this story and he says just this. Once when Jesus was praying in private, how often do you think Jesus might have prayed in private? Go ahead. We'll take feedback. Every day, like all the time, you, got, you get kind of a picture that Jesus and the Father were pretty connected. Once, when Jesus was praying in private, there's no context. G- Luke, who writes this story, he's like, hey, just once, when Jesus was out there somewhere with his disciples, they had this conversation. It's so interesting, there's no context to it. Now, there are four people that wrote stories of the life of Jesus, they're all rock stars. They're the kind of rock stars that go by just the first name only, like Beyonce. Right? What, I don't, what's Beyonce's last name? I know some of you know it, but she only goes like by Beyonce or Bono. It's like just one. So here's four rock stars in the Bible who wrote stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's all you know their names. And everyone wrote the story, but they all wrote it differently. And sometimes when people come to the Bible, they look at these four stories, these four accounts of Jesus, and they go, there's errors there. There's mistakes there. They don't all line up. I'm like, no, there's exactly not mistakes there, but you have four different people writing four different perspectives on one person's life. And when they write their stories, they write to four different groups of people and they write with four different purposes in mind. And because they write to different audiences with different purposes in mind, the way they tell the story is different from time to time. So here's Luke. He tells a story. Once when Jesus was praying in private, he had his disciples together and he said, who do people say I am? It's no context. When Matthew writes the same story in Matthew 16, it's full of context. You find out from Matthew that this story happened several miles north of Capernaum and north of the Sea of Galilee in a city called Caesarea Philippi. It's a pagan city inside the nation of Israel. And it's got pagan shrines. It's got a shrine to the emperor of Rome. It's got a a shrine to a Greek king. They've got a shrine to the god Pan who guards the gates of hell. It's got all this context in it. When Matthew writes it, but when Luke writes it, he just says, once when Jesus was praying, Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he wrote it, to Jewish people who lived in Israel. And people in Israel, had a, they had this Jewish perspective on life and they were expecting this Messiah, the king of, of God's people to come and show up. And they knew this city, Caesarea Philippi, was in their nation, but it was a pagan city in a holy nation. It was so odd and so repulsive to them. So when Matthew wrote to Jewish people living in Israel, When he gave all that context, he knew that would be meaningful to them and how they lived out their relationship with Christ. 
But Luke, when he wrote his gospel, he's writing to Greek-speaking people around the Roman Empire. Some of them are so far away from Israel, they barely heard of Israel. They probably never heard of Caesarea Philippi. So to tell us what city he was in and that there were all these pagan shrines, that wouldn't have meant anything to them. They all lived in cities with pagan shrines. So all they needed to know was this. Once, when Jesus was praying in private with his disciples, he said to them, Who do people say I am? So let's come back to the story. He says to the disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples go, oh, 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 this is an easy one. Because some of the questions Jesus asked were hard, right? Some of the times he'd ask questions like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or he'd tell a parable, I don't know what you're talking about. But this one's not that hard. Who do people say I am? And the disciples like, oh, we know it. Somebody said, Jesus, I heard someone said that they believe you are John the Baptist come back to life. Which is really a weird thing because Jesus and John grew up at the same time. They're like six months apart in age. And, and John the Baptist had just been executed by crazy King Herod. But some people said, Jesus, Jesus must be John the Baptist come back to life. One of the other disciples said, no, no, no. I've heard people saying, Jesus, Jesus must be Elijah. Now, Elijah was one of the great Old Testament prophets. You can read his story in 1 Kings. Did amazing, powerful things to demonstrate God's presence among the people of Israel. Amazing prophet. His story is so unique. He actually didn't die. The story says he ascended into heaven. He was taken up into heaven. That's different. And then some of the disciples said, no, no, no. Some of the people were saying, Jesus, that you're one of the ancient prophets of old who by this time had all passed away. Which is so interesting to me. How hard is it to believe in Jesus? How hard is it? For me, it's not that hard. Because I grew up from the earliest time, my earliest memories, I remember hearing the name of Jesus. I grew up in Sunday school. I grew up with the stories It's not hard for me to believe. But if you didn't come to faith in Christ until you were an adult and you had to wrestle through it for yourself, it's hard to believe in Jesus. In fact, it was so hard for them to believe in Jesus. People were saying, oh, he's John the Baptist. What? Come back to life. Or he's one of the prophets. What? Came back to life. It was easier to believe in someone rising from the dead than it was to believe in Jesus. Which is fascinating because at the end of the story of Jesus, you have to believe that he rose from the dead. Some people think you're John the Baptist, Lord. Some people think that you're Elijah. Or some people think that you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned the question, made it harder. Didn't change many of the words, but he made it harder, way harder. Because it took zero commitment for the disciples to say what somebody else said. But it takes total commitment to answer the next question which he asked, which was, and who do you say I am? And now it lands on us. Now it lands on the disciples. Now we've got to make a decision. Deciding about Jesus requires faith. Understanding who he is takes a life, a lifetime. And Jesus looks at his disciples on the side of a road somewhere 
while they're having a little prayer time and he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, as he was prone to do, spoke up for the other disciples of Jesus and he said two words, God's Messiah. If you read Matthew's account, you'll find that Peter's answer was longer than that. He had some very eloquent, beautiful, important things to say, but Luke, for his purposes, what he wants to get across to us, he just records two things, two words that that Peter said. Jesus, you are God's Messiah. Now, you may have heard that before. That might not be news to you because history passes down to us through 2,000 years of Jesus' followers saying, Jesus, you're God's Messiah. You're God's Messiah. We go, go, oh, I believe in God's Messiah. What does that mean? When Peter said it, what did it mean? Because we may put some other baggage on it that it doesn't really mean. Like, for example, Messiah doesn't mean Savior. I believe Jesus is Savior, but that's not what Messiah means. Messiah doesn't mean Son of God. I believe Jesus is Son of God, but that's not what Messiah means. Messiah simply means anointed one. Peter says, Jesus, I believe you are God's anointed one. Okay, we don't really anoint people anymore. What does that mean? Well, in Israel, they would anoint someone for a purpose. So a man would be anointed with oil for the purpose of serving as king. Or someone would be anointed with oil for the purpose of serving as a priest. Or they'd be anointed with oil for the purpose of serving as a prophet. They were always anointed for a purpose. So when Peter said, Jesus, you're God's Messiah, he's saying you've been anointed for a purpose in our lives and in the life of our nation and in the life of the world. And I go, what's the purpose? Why did God anoint him? What did he want? What did he want for him? And what did he want for us? It goes back to the mystery of Christ in Colossians chapter 1. Those who put their faith in Jesus find this mystery that Christ is in us. The purpose for which Jesus came as Messiah was to be in us, was to follow us. So that our lives would change. Some in the room this morning are probably not yet followers of Jesus. I don't say that in any kind of judgment. I think, you know, we all come to a place at some point where we have to decide the answer to Jesus' question that he asked. But if you look at your own life and you go, I don't follow Jesus yet. I come to church every now and then. I check it out. I'm interested. I'm not opposed to him. But I haven't really decided to follow him yet. For you, at some point, Jesus is going to get your attention enough and he's going to ask you the question that he asked his disciples. He's going to say, who who do people say I am in your life? And you might be able to rattle off a list of the things that you've heard people say about Jesus. And you can say it without commitment. You can say it without conviction because it's what somebody else says. But then Jesus is going to take the question a step further for you 
and make it a lot harder, a lot more important. And he's going to say, but you, who do you say I am? And now you have to figure out how you respond. And if you're already someone who follows Jesus, and if Jesus says, you know, if he were to say to you, who do you say I am? You go, oh, I know this. You're God's Messiah, and you're my Messiah. You're the one who's been anointed for me. What Jesus says is, if I'm the Messiah, I'm in your life. Wherever you go, I follow you. And in fact, when Peter said, Jesus, I believe that you are God's Messiah, Jesus said, good, pick up your cross and follow me. And get ready for the adventure of a lifetime. Because your life will never be the same again. Jesus, I pray for us today that we would grasp what it looks like that you are the Messiah. That we would grasp how much you want to be in us and how much you want to shape every place where we go this week, every place we go in our lives, that you're planning to be there with us and you're planning to bring your wisdom and your power and your love and your mercy and your truth and your grace to every place we go. Lord, if there are some who are just wrestling with who you are, I pray you'll reveal yourself to them. And for those who have said, Jesus, I'm in, then Lord, we're saying, we pick up our cross. We're headed headed to Calvary with you and you're headed to work with us and home with us so you can change every place we go. Lord, thank you. We lean into you, Lord Jesus. We trust you. Amen.